following the prince of the power of the air, the prince of this world, Satan. You and I were following him at one time. You were not an innocent bystander in the war that was going on. You and I were enemies. Given the opportunity, the moment, the power to do it, you and I would have dethroned God just like Lucifer tried to. We would have done that. Why? Because we were born out of the sin of Adam. We were born with the same kind of mentality, and we were following that kind of thinking. But yet, what happens? Well, read verse 4. Even as he chose us... Oh, I'm sorry, that's chapter 1, verse 4. Wrong way. Here we go. But God... Same story, different chapter. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Graceful, not dancing like a ballerina. Graceful, F-U-L-L, a graceful God. He is full of grace, full of mercy. And at some point in eternity past, he looked, he saw you, he knew you, he loved you, he chose you. That's what the passage says. Jesus also reiterated, read John 6 sometime. Somewhere in eternity past, the God of the universe looked down and he saw you and he saw me and he said, I want them. But God, being rich in mercy and grace, like you were this, now you're not. Some of you are still living with the scars and the frustration of who you used to be. You can't help if other people don't let you outlive it. God help you, especially your teenage kids. If they witnessed or experienced anything you used to be or anybody you used to be, they are the most judgmental, hate-filled people in the world sometimes. You want to know why? Because it helps them get away with the things they want to do. And most people will never tell a parent that. If you have gotten saved, if you have rededicated, if your life has changed midstream, if they were 10 when it started and they had enough information to look back and say, yeah, but you were a heathen. You were a horrible person. You did this. You did that. I should be able to do that too. They are some of the meanest, most judgmental people on the planet because they're not mature enough yet to see the damage they're really doing. At 25, 26, many of them would never say the things that they do. But as teenagers, they look for leverage. And they're not mature enough to figure out the damage they're going to do. You were dead, and now you're alive. Old, broken, following the devil. New, holy, sanctified, set apart, temple of God, living in the ways of God. You and I serve a graceful God. And he has great love and he has given you an eternal seat. Did you read that passage? Where are you right now? Where are you in that passage? Somebody say seated, past tense, with him. Somebody say, seated with him. How secure is your salvation? It is secure as the person it is invested in. It's one of the greatest passages I've ever read in my life. The first time I actually read it and said, wow, that stuff is past tense. God is not booting people out of heaven. 
He's not letting people walk out either. It's nowhere in the passage. Nowhere in the word. When you and I bow the knee and bow the heart and we lean into the God of the universe and we ask Him to save us, we ask Him to take away our sin, when we ask for a new life and a new heart and we ask to be His, you are His. And you are raised up with Him and seated with Him. It is past tense. Romans 8 will give you the same stuff. Past tense. As in, it is done. It is finished. Like Jesus on the cross crying out. Jesus would follow it up by saying, when he talks about judgment, he would say, there will be those in heaven one day that cry out, Lord, did I not do this in your name? Did I not do that? Did I not preach? Man, that terrifies me. Did I not preach in your name? There's going to be a bunch of preachers, a bunch of teachers, a bunch of singers, a bunch of Sunday school workers, right? I don't know if there's going to be a bunch of nursery workers. They kind of bail out of that one. There ain't enough, there ain't enough personal glory in that one, right? It's all work there. There's going to be a bunch of people that stood up front and had things and got things from the church and other people. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I prayed a prayer, Lord. Remember, my grandma drug me up front when I was five. I said exactly what she wanted me to say. Depart from me. I never knew you. Friends, Ephesians 2 ought to be a passage that just builds us up with glory and goodness. He's raised you up and seated you with God. You have an eternal seat. Verses 7 to 10. Keep reading with me. So that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know, every day of eternity is going to be experiencing God's grace again and again and again. Like you and I are saved right now so that as eternity goes on, he can continue to show his grace. That's what the passage says. You can argue with that if you want to. We're getting it now and we'll get it then to show the immeasurable riches of His grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast for we are His workmanship. Man, that's good. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared when? Beforehand that we should walk in them. Friend, you are here on purpose. I don't care who your parents were, how they got together, how you got here, where they were at when you're gone. I don't care who your grandparents were. I don't care what kind of trouble they were in. I don't care what kind of mess they made. I don't care why they were together and why they aren't. You are here on purpose. And you are to do good works. The Lord has brought you here to bring heaven to earth. He wants through you to bring heaven to earth. I've told you all this before, and I don't think we totally grabbed the concept, but that moment you and I walk into heaven, it should feel a little familiar. It should feel like a couple minutes ago singing those songs. It should feel the last time you were in intense prayer with somebody. It should feel the last time you were forgiven. It should feel like the last time you were forgiven or the last time you forgave. That's heaven coming to earth. The last time we talked to somebody about the gospel the last time you love somebody properly, it should feel like that. When we walk into that kingdom, it should not be totally new. It should be vaguely familiar. Because God wants you and I doing the works of heaven right now. Our gospel is too small, almost like many of our Jesuses. And I, could, I felt so bad typing that, I had to type it in a lowercase because the real Jesus doesn't operate that way. But our Jesus sometimes is so small, and so is our gospel 
for all of eternity, the immeasurable riches of God's grace are going to be shown to you and I and poured out on us. Ooh, that should make your hair stand up. You look at this passage, who, God, what saved me, right? You remember the, remember the school questions, some of your teachers in here? Right? You're reading through something, they want you to comprehend it, what do they tell you? Like the five W's, are they still, is it still that, and an H? Who, what, when, where, why, how, right? Remember that? Some things just stick, don't they? I could probably go through and do all the days of the week in Spanish too, and I have no clue why that's stuck. <laughs> who, God. Who? God. But God. Rich in grace and mercy, right? What did he do? He saved me. When? Right now and for all eternity. Ooh, that's good. There it is. Come up. Right? Where? Here and in heaven to come. Why? To show the immeasurable riches of his grace. And how? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in the work of the one that could accomplish, that could merit God's approval. That's what Jesus did. And then you and I get to be a part of that. In him. John 17, Jesus prays for us. God says not only for those that are here right now, not only for those that I know right now and you know right now, but for those that will come, I pray that they are one as you and I are one. In me and in you. That's John 17. Ooh, that prayer's a good one. You know what happens with Jesus' prayers? They always get answered. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Remember, you Gentiles were Gentiles, uncircumcision. By the circumcision, the Jews, there was a vast difference here. There was a huge gap here, right? All the Old Testament is this picture. Jews and Gentiles. That's what he's talking about right now, which is made in the flesh by hands. What creates that? The flesh. They were born in this lineage. You and I were not. Verse 12, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Another but in this passage. You underline those? You should. Pay attention to what comes after. Verse 13, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Isn't that beautiful? And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Amen. Verse 17. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Those once far away are now brought near like any group of people descending on something together. Okay, I was thinking about this, um, but it'd be like how many people are going to show up, how many new people are going to show up for let's say a football game? 
Like they're going to descend into, and maybe it's a bigger city. You know, Dallas, you might not understand, or, or California somewhere, you might not even see the difference. they got 30 million people buzzing around there. But let's say you show up in Cincinnati, right? I've been to Cincinnati before, looked around, thought, man, this is kind of a city I could live in. There's no traffic, right? There's like 17 stoplights, and I see like seven cars. Like this is my kind of city. Now what happens when the Bengals play? 100,000 people show up, right? Like all these different people descending to one place to see something. As you and I get closer to God, what happens to us? Everybody always makes this analogy with marriage, and it makes perfect sense, right? You know, there's a triangle, and there's husband and wife, and as you get closer to God, you get closer together, right? It's a beautiful analogy. Why does nobody ever say the same thing about the church? Ooh. Because most churches are too disjointed to even have that idea come about. Been to a business meeting? Most of you would say no, like we shied off of them, right? There was a time my wife wouldn't even come to them here. Like, you need to stay away. It's like, so we never make that analogy in any bigger case than marriage. It's just real easy. There's two people, and you two are on your own. Do your thing. What if you and I looked at a church, and every church we walked into said, if the people here are getting more like Jesus, this community ought to be getting closer together. I don't know. I don't know. As you and I get closer to him, the separation is gone. Verses 11 and 12, separation from both God and Jew has been removed, 13 to 18. Jesus Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. He is no peacekeeper. He shakes things up, kicks things over. Sometimes if he has to, he makes a whip. He is no peacekeeper. Peacekeepers look over a lot of evil just so they don't have to have any hard conversations just so nobody has their feelings hurt, and just so everybody's comfortable. That's a peacekeeper. Jesus is a peacemaker. He comes in, knocks some things over where he needs to, most of the time with really religious people that don't think they have any issues. Be careful. I know where we're all thinking. He is harder on the opposite end. He would be harder on us. Let judgment begin in the house of God is what Scripture says. So we need to be careful with that one. We think, oh, yeah, boy, he'd be over there kicking over some stuff. Man, he'd be in D.C. right now just slapping tables and rocking statues. Right, as long as they were on the right side of history. Well, that's a good one. Anybody pay attention? That was funny. No, he'd be in our home. He'd be with you and I. A Christian? Okay. How we doing? Well, Lord. Okay, we're gonna knock that over. <laughs> Break it. Kick it outside. He would be operating in our home first. Why? Because this salvation, this new birth, all of these things start with me and they flow over into the rest of the world. Jesus Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. He is not interested in sharing custody, sharing space, doing any of that stuff. He's going to wreck our heart until we lean in. Sometimes it takes wrecking our life to do it too. A million years from now, which one would you be excited about? Knowing him better, being closer to him, or having a nice, comfortable life? That job you wanted, that money you wanted, that stuff you wanted. We're going to be really happy about all the things that drove us into a better relationship with him. Verse 19, we're no longer strangers but citizens, no longer aliens but members of God's family. Do you see how this changes everything? You were an enemy and now you're a family member. You hated him and he loved you. You would have killed him. He should have killed you. He should have killed me. And instead, Jesus took our place. He who knew no sin became our sin. 
Verses 20 to 22, we and he, right, built up together in the foundation, the teaching of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles laid at the direction and the cornerstone of King Jesus. I wish I could jump into that a little bit more. I think the only reason those two offices are listed right there is because I don't think they're the same today. I think God still works the same way he's always worked. But I don't think the office of prophet and the office of apostle are two things that are still open today. That's why we were laid on the foundation of those two things. So be leery when people start coming at you with titles. We need to be pulling apart those things and making sure what's being said is actually something that's real. Same thing with music, having a conversation with a brother about this even this week. Same thing with some of the music that we sing and the people that they point to. You and I need to be very careful, very careful about how far we follow certain people. Reverend, kill that title. A couple people, yeah, yeah, yeah. She jokes about it. Like, Reverend, nope, not interested. Uh, pastor, sheep herder, call me what you want. Not that, not apostle, not prophet, none of those things. Some of these titles are drawing people in because somebody is self-proclaimed or some other sinner called them that, and all of a sudden we think that's the way we ought to go. So we see God work in me, start breaking down these barriers, and finally in Ephesians chapter 4, it gets into the church. The reason why you have to start with the person is because you and I make the church up. If my life ain't right, this church is not going to be good. And no matter what I do to try to fix it, or no matter how much of the burden I try to take up, or how much money I give, or how much time I spend here, there's going to be something wrong. It has to start with us, Ephesians chapter 2. And then God starts breaking down barriers. He starts bringing closer, people closer to him, people closer to each other. And then you can get to Ephesians chapter 4, which is what church looks like for broken people. God pieces churches together. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the the unity of the Spirit, not eager to get your way, not eager to get pleased, not eager to be comfortable, but eager to fight for the unity of what you and I are putting together. We will fight to keep it unified under the authority of Scripture because that's what unifies it. If nothing else, it's your opinion and my opinion. Some of the arguments that people get into, it's just opinion-based. makes absolutely no sense to be separating, frustrated, leaving, mad, whatever, disjoining the church over opinions. The Word of God, absolutely. They deviate from the Word of God, you dust the feet off when you leave, like Jesus said, right? Remember, if they don't welcome you there, you kick the dust off your feet and you leave the town. See you. Some of the people uh, in churches that you know that are struggling right now, they need this information. If it's a matter of opinion, dial it down a notch. Don't throw grenades and run off. Don't be selfish and nasty. Don't destroy the unity of the church because your opinion is the carpet ought to be green. Right? Or we've always done it this way. You sound like firemen when they talk like that. Hundred years of tradition. Right? We've always done it this way. Don't make no sense. Don't be like that. They're deviating from the Word of God. Throw grenades. Tell other people why you're leaving so that baby sheep don't get swallowed up when you leave. Let everybody know why you're going. Talk to the leadership team first. And if they don't repent, if they don't deviate and come back, then you see you later. Let me tell you what's going on here. They're deviating from Scripture. They're going to lead you astray. They're going to get you eaten or killed. You do that. But you and I are to fight for the unity in all humility and gentleness. From Gentiles to gentle, 
you and I find our place differently in this world. That is why what is old is being made new because the oldest thing in the world is community with people and God is making it new. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. By uh, Verse 7, but grace was given each one according to the measure of God's uh, Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led hosts of captives, and he gave gifts to men. You read through that, the first couple there, it's impossible to do these things alone, right? Verse 1 says, walk in a manner worthy, right? Why is that? Why do we need to walk in peace and humility and gentleness? Because you and I can't do it alone. There are very few times in your Christian life that you're going to be alone. And if it is, it's partly because you drummed it up or the Lord has taken you to a place for a short time to bring you and Him closer. You and I have to diagnose what's going on there. If we create areas of separation and isolation from the family of God, from the Word of God, you're going to find out eventually that it was sinful. You need us. We need you. And if it's not this body you're supposed to be attached to, then you need to find the body you are supposed to be attached to. All of me in and for all of thee. Until the Lord separates us. Till death do us part or mission do us part. All of me for all of thee. All of me for all of you. That's the way the body is supposed to work. The onenesses that we've talked about uh, brought us together. They make our other issues very small. All of our differences become non-existent and all of the excuses null and void. One spirit, one Lord, and one Father, one triune, eternal God, all there for you to see working even right now. You and I go from single to it's complicated. Right? We wouldn't have sorted out and drawn a bunch of these people to us. Why, they're just way different. But guess what? The Lord pieces the churches together. What you have is what I need, and what I have is what you need, and God puts this body together, and that's why some are hands and some are feet, right? Some are biceps, some are legs, some are back, some are shoulders, right? Jesus is the the head, right? So what's going on in this passage? He keeps talking about the church, Jesus has descended from heaven. He descended into Sheol. He has come ascending and giving gifts. Verse 10, he who descended is the one who has ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints. For what? For the work of what? Oh, we have a pastor. He's supposed to do that. We have a youth pastor. He's supposed to do it too. Justin, are you training my kids in the ways of Jesus? Uh, I'm here to help. I'm here to equip. Right? Some of Justin's best work as youth pastor, as youth pastor is done with the parents. Oh. Done helping you figure out how to reach and disciple your children. So many churches forever, as soon as they start paying pastors, right? Well, they're going to do the work, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to pay the bills, but I'm going to expect them. Like, man, you ain't evangelizing enough. This church ain't had a new person in it forever. What are you doing, preacher? Well, I'm trying to equip you to do the work. You're going to be accountable with the knowledge that you know to do the work that it is you are called to do. It's my job here to protect and to equip and to do some of the work myself, absolutely. But man, for far too long, man, we pay a guy to do that. (laughs) I pay a guy to disciple my children. That is not going to work at the feet of King Jesus. 
They get them an hour, two, a week, tops. You get them the other seven days. We pass them off to YouTube for about 13 hours a week. We give them to the school system for 40. We let them play video games for another five. Do homework for seven more. Friends, I'm telling you all, this is a terrifying place to be as a parent in this culture. We're subsidizing a lot of our children's rearing to other people, and then we're thinking, well, we're good. They seem like happy, healthy individuals. It's my job to help equip you to do the work that we all may attain what? Unity, faith, and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You and I are to be wise and mature, shrewd. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with, uh, with, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Verses 15 and 16, like sunshine and good nourishment, truth and love makes growth. And when the body is doing what the body is supposed to do, what happens? This thing becomes like a self-fulfilling, self-repeating wrecking ball to be dealt with. When the body is doing what the body is supposed to be doing, the Lord feeds it people, we disciple him, and it's just this amazing thing that just keeps going. So we send out to other places and they go, but they just keep coming here and we keep discipling, we keep working, we keep serving. The arms keep doing what the arms are supposed to do, the legs keep doing what they're supposed to do, and the body just keeps growing. And sometimes it grows here, and then, man, at 18, when we send them babies off, they take with them the DNA of this church, hopefully a real one hopefully a good one, that when they go somewhere and they land later in life, maybe it's another state, another city, God help them, especially college, when they land there, they know what to look for. If they find a church just like this one, they're going to be okay? Or do you think you and I are dropping the ball in the places that need to be fixed quickly? They're going to come this morning. The invitation of expectation is what I'm going to give you. They're going to come to play. I'm just going to read what the Apostle Paul would say to the church. And this is my invitation to you. I'm going to add nothing to it because it needs nothing else. This is the Word of God. Verse 17 says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have learned about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful Desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up and fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which all all out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light, partners in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is the shameful it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is, is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Stand with me this morning. You need something. You come. The Apostle Paul has spoken. The Word of God has spoken. Let it hit where it needs to hit. 